With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The winning run may be over, but Norwich City are edging ever closer to promotion after a 1-1 draw with Blackburn. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio 107.8 FM. Dave Freezer here alongside Paddy Davitt and Connor Southwell to look back on a very busy week, three games in seven days, loads going on, a, a club record. In, in We've literally seen Norwich win nine games in succession as the first time it's ever happened in club history in all, in all competitions just fell short of equaling the league record of 10 successive uh, wins which is a shame but uh, gents um, as, as i come to you to ask how you are i just wanted to sort of paint a little bit of a picture um just to, just as a little bit of a reminder for for the listeners really that after that defeat at swansea the 2-0 brentford went top and everything February 13th, that's all it was when uh, when they beat Stoke 4-1. So that game has started a run of 10 games, nine wins, one draw, no defeats, 21 goals, four conceded, 27 points from 30. Pad, you've been covering Norwich for a long while, but this has been a pretty remarkable period of time, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, now you've said that, I'm trying to think, is there anything comparable? Um, probably not, no, I not to the dominance they're exhibited this season. You know, Alex Neal's pertinent as they go to Preston the other side of the break now, whether he'll be in charge is another debate entirely. But um, I'm trying to think when he came in, that six-month whirlwind that culminated in promotion via the playoffs at Wembley against Middlesbrough, Ben Gibson and all, they must have put a very good run together that season, but probably not, clearly not, because, you know, we're talking about a comparative with a team in 85-86. So, so that's how good this run was, which obviously ended sadly in terms of the club record run. But um, yeah, I'm just funny enough, just written about, uh, you know, what Norwich have done in this spell is the anomaly because the championship, this doesn't happen. You know, you don't get teams go nine straight wins. It's just uh, unheard of. Very rarely do you get that sort of level of dominance. And um, you know, probably what we saw yesterday was more, more, more akin to, in terms of not just Norwich, but obviously Brentford not getting the better of Forest, only drawing, and then Swansea losing the Welsh Derby to Cardiff. That is the championship on any given weekend. Um, anybody really can put it up to anybody else. So if that is the championship for Norwich to go nine and beat uh, nine wins, sorry, not even and beat nine wins, and then those goals stats you quoted as well, and both goals scored and goals conceded. Um, you know it is. It is literally uh, unprecedented stuff that this Norwich team have produced and ultimately a um, little bit of work left to do. But I think when when rather than if they are in the Premier League and we're reflecting back on the season, this is the spell now from February the 13th, as you said there, DF, to, you know, to yesterday, if you want to bookend it till then. That is the period that has essentially certainly got them promotion and probably won them the title because they've pulled so far clear now um, that the other teams just can't exert any pressure 
You saw Brentford and Swansea both dropping points yesterday as well. Only Watford were able to really cash in. It's not good enough. It'll take more than that now to, to reel Norwich in. So ultimately, this run of nine straight wins um, has probably been the difference between a tense looking over your shoulder. What are they doing today? Who are they playing? Oh God, it's, it's going to topsy-turvy and Norwich could be out of the promotion places by the close of play today. No, it's literally uh, kick back, get the cigar out and get uh, get ready for the Premier League. It certainly is. And yeah, Swansea losing to Cardiff uh, in the late kickoff. So that means Norwich are 14 points clear of third place with eight games to play. Swansea have nine to play, but just been working out. So if Norwich win five of their remaining eight, they will go up. They will be promoted, even if Swansea won all of their games. So they're not going to need five wins, are they? I, I think six points will probably see them promoted and, and nine for the title. But before we come on to the, the Blackburn game, Connor, just, I, I suppose we should also, we did re, do a sort of quick debrief for the pod, didn't we, on the Sheffield Wednesday game, but that Forest performance in midweek, I mean, it got so much praise. Daniel Farker said it was close to perfect in the first half, didn't he? And, you know, as they stand today, that point means that they are five points better than Farker's team were two years ago. They've got 13 more than Nigel Worthington's team had, who also went on to win the title. So as we've been talking about there, this is a this is a special period of time. And it was weird yesterday going into the Blackburn game. I thought that we were almost sort of relaxed. It didn't, it didn't really matter if Norwich lost, did it? They're in such a strong position. Uh, yeah, and it, it probably shows the position they've worked themselves in that after a draw, people are, uh, are frustrated. You know, it's quite a nice place to be, I think, in, in the position that they're in. But you're right, the, the statistics are staggering, I think, from, from this period and across the season. And, and it kind of shows um, that, that there is a standout team in the Championship and, and, and it's uh, it's Norwich, I think. I mean, there's only, what, eight points now between them and, and Watford. Watford themselves, I think, uh, are in a pretty good run of form. I don't know what it is exactly, but um, they're, they're, they're going pretty well as well. So you would probably expect a natural drop off to come from them at some point as well. Um, so it's, it's just really, it's just a really healthy position and, and, and they deserve tremendous credit, but equally for every forest performance and, and the positivity and the energy there was in that, you're always going to get one where perhaps they're a little bit under par and the opposition raised their game and, 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 and were very good. And I think that was the case yesterday. And um, it, it comes back to that sort of key thing, doesn't it? If you, if you can't win, then don't lose. And I think this, this Norwich team of, of, done that really well at points this season actually and, and even though some people will be frustrated obviously not um, matching that club record I think in the grand scheme of things have we spoken about they're one point better off it's it's probably going to be um, reflected upon at the end of the season as a very crucial point I think yeah quite possibly I just had a look as you mentioned it uh, Watford have, have won nine of the last ten as well uh, they they had a loss to Bournemouth in the middle of it uh, they lost one at Bournemouth they only conceded six goals in that run so I think their defensive strength means that they they're very likely to be the team following Norwich up now, aren't they? Because Brentford kind of have shot themselves in the foot a little bit when you think that Norwich made Forest look like they were chasing shadows in midweek and then Brentford managed to, to draw at home with them. So, um, yeah, but to reflect briefly a bit on the Forest game, I suppose to start with, Pad, um, that was uh, an interesting one, wasn't it? Because we get the news just before kickoff. I mean, you guys are literally doing our team news video on Facebook at the time, aren't you? <laughs> Me and the, the club's press officer are kind of trying to get the message to you <laughs> while you're recording and stuff that Emmy Buendi is not involved because his wife had given birth the night before and, you know, basically didn't didn't get any sleep that night, did he? And, but that, that first 45 minutes against Forest was was pretty sensational and, and they should have been 4-0 up, shouldn't they? 
Well, full one maybe because, as Daniel rightly said on Friday, they did let one chance. Yates, the centre back, I think he had a free header oh, yeah, near post yeah. corner. Um, so you know he's splitting hairs. Yeah, could easily certainly could have been four goals at the other end against, as they demonstrated again against Brentford. Chris Hutton's teams they don't concede too many goals. They they don't win a huge amount of games. Um, but they don't concede too many, but they could conceivably on that night have. Uh, you know, really been, I mean, and, and it was telling, I think, as Daniel were talking about, yeah, that was pretty close to perfection. That he re- regaled the anecdote that Chris Hewitt had almost said to him after the game, we just simply couldn't do anything to try and press you. You were that good, you know, the way you moved it, um, you know, the incisiveness of the goals, um, but also just, as Daniel said on Friday, you know, the, in terms of the way they played it, in terms of possession, they created chances. They created chances on the counter. They were good in wide areas. They were good down the centre. It was. It was. And, um, you know, ultimately, that was probably the watermark of this nine-game period because um, they were, bar that one chance for a corner, they were close to perfection. And uh, I, I think I'd tweet at half-time. It was just the joyous joyous uh, occasion, really. And lucky to be, be there and see it live in the flesh. The only downside was the uh, fake crowd news noise that they pumped around the city ground, which didn't yeah. really add to the ambience at all. It was funny. I was look, looked down at the director's box at one point in the first half here and and, and Weber and uh, Neil Adams, they were, I, it was quite clear to me they were basically saying, what on earth is this all about? You could see from the hand signals that uh, the kind of North Korea type uh, pop, pop, piping it through the PA system wasn't really, certainly didn't improve Forrest's performance on the night, put it that way. But uh, yeah, I think... Um, I think you you would struggle uh, to find a better forty five under Daniel Farker. I think, and then that's saying something when you look at some of the results they've had. You know, the Man City one stands out, but you know some very good results in that title winning season two years ago. But as a forty five, from a coaching point of view, I think that was pretty close to as good as it gets under Farker at Norwich. Yeah, it was really a pleasure to watch. And, and just to move through the week chronologically a little bit, Connor, the, you know, we spoke about how well Kieran Dowell had done at Sheffield Wednesday and we were expecting him to probably have forced his way into the starting lineup anyway. Um, but then with Wendy out, that means Rock gets to keep his place as well and, and was excellent at Forest, wasn't he? Really just so full of energy. Then he gets his little injury blow. So what have you made of Kieran Dowell this week? He's, uh, it feels like, uh, to me, I, I didn't think he was quite as good uh, against Blackburn as he was against Forest, but he, he still created quite a bit. And it, it feels like this could have been quite a big week for him now that he's got an international break to sort of work in training and try and develop from here. Yeah, especially now he's got Marco Steepman breathing down his neck as well. I, th- I think it, it, it was a big week, actually. And, you know, he'll probably reflect on it, certainly from an output perspective. He scored one, he's assisted one in, in two games. It's it's pretty good going, I, I think. Um, I think he probably looked more comfortable in that kind of wide right role as opposed to the number 10 role um, on Saturday. And increasingly, in my mind, that's kind of where I think he's he's looked better for Norwich rather than than as that number 10, which probably doesn't help uh, the, the riddle they have in that particular position but that that kind of feels like it's it's where he's shown his best qualities I mean the goal against Forest was sublime and um, he, he had a tester fairly early on didn't he that, that went just wide as well and for him it's, it's the way he glides past players which is which is different to Buendia and Campwell he, he can pick up the ball and just glide forward and um, that's a, a real sort of unique skill point I think in, in this Norwich attack and, and and that's probably why he can play in a side with, with Todd and, and, and with Buendia. Um, 
But yeah, I, I didn't think he was as in the game on Saturday. I think he was a bit more on the periphery. I think he struggled to connect what Norwich were trying to do, um, sort of building up the play and building up the pitch. Didn't really feel like Puki was involved for, for long periods. And that's not necessarily Kieran Dow's fault, but um, I think it just sort of pointed to maybe how well Blackburn nullified Norwich's attack with a 4-3-3. So, yeah, it was a big week. I think he'll probably reflect on it and be quite pleased overall with the the three games, if you include his um, contribution against Sheffield Wednesday. But with Marco Steepman breathing down his neck, I think it's fair to say, I think we'll probably need to see a bit more from him in that in that 10 position. The talent's not in doubt for me. It's probably just comes down to consistency. And to him probably as well, because I mean, he's had a long time out. It, it's probably him understanding his teammates and what exactly is required of him in that role as well. And um, so, so yeah, I, th- I think he'll, he'll probably be pleased when he sits in, uh, and, and reflects on it, but he'll know probably deep down that, that he has to do more if he wants to, if he wants to stay in the Norwich team, I think. Yeah. I, I had a similar thought when I was recording the video verdict, which, um, you know, you can watch after every game, pinkham.com, uh, the pink and YouTube channel. We go live with it and um, within the hour after the full-time whistle, but it almost felt like we sort of stumbled across a possible glimpse into the future, into a potentially pad. If Wendy were to go, if one of the big boys were to turn up with a chest of money big enough to tempt Mr. Weber into a sale this summer, could you see that Norwich have already got a potential Wendy replacement in the building in Kieran Dow? Because I've, I've sort of mentioned this a few times in recent week that 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 number ten role has almost become like an enabling role, hasn't it? It's it's the more unfashionable, not as eye-catching role to get the best out of Campwell and Buendia or whoever the two wide players are. And perhaps that means that that, that to just, you, you've almost got, as Daniel's described them, they're, they're false tens out wide, aren't they? And then the person in the middle is sort of knitting things together in, in kind of an unselfish way. So the way, the way that Ollie Skip maybe does it defensively. Yeah, it's something they will, they'll still have to solve it. They, you know, they tried and failed um, it, the last time they went up. Um and that will be again when we swing back round again, and it becomes what do they do need to do recruitment wise? I think the ten issue, particularly as you say there, with the imponderables of Webb when the plays football, even Cantwell potentially as well. Um, so that, yeah, that and that, as was proven two seasons ago, now was a pretty pivotal factor in doing quite a quite a diabolically poor attempt at staying up, if we're brutally honest. You know, the fact that they didn't really offer anything in that 10 role, and it was so important after that initial kind of uh, adrenaline sort of wore off and, and, you know, September moved into the harder yards and uh, they just, it just broke down. You know, Pookie was increasingly an isolated figure. Um, Wendy was on the margins a lot of the time and, and even Campbell after a very bright sort of start in the Premier League, um, he faded away as well. So, you know, it is for me probably maybe another centre back, but probably probably the top in in Stuart Webber's intray in terms of recruitment this summer. They need to find a solution that actually is going to be residually effective in the Premier League because I think if they don't, we'll be talking about the same type of things again and Norwich's lack of effectiveness um, and maybe you know why Pookie isn't quite as effective because there's no doubt. You know, I haven't seen it so much this season, but two seasons ago, Marco Stiepenman was tailor-made for him in terms of the style of play and and that ability to basically almost draw away attention. And because of he's a big physical presence and they can play the ball up to him, that then allowed Pookie two seasons ago to have a bit more freedom to sort of run the channels and, and 
spread the play. They just knit well together, but not necessarily in the Premier League, I don't think. I think uh, Marcus Stieperman didn't really cut the mustard at that level. It's hard to see another two years on that he'd be able to do that again. So the brutal reality is I don't think Marcus Stieperman is the answer. Um, and at the minute, I mean, it's a fair point Connor made. You know, is he better in wide areas, Kieran Dahl? I don't think he's the answer necessarily. Certainly not as the he is our number 10 and we are now going to build everything around him. I think that would be a big call on the evidence of what we've seen this season so far. He looks like a young man who still has a lot of development, hasn't really played. At, I, mean, I think he made his debut in the Premier League, funnily enough, against Norwich for Everton. But I don't think he's had too many opportunities in the Premier League here in Dahl. So could you go into next season and say he is our number 10? Not for me. Too big a gamble. Um, so, you know, if the answer lies outside the club, they need to be thinking about that. And and obviously, Buendia's future is, is part of that. But uh, certainly, uh, I would be very concerned if uh, we're starting next season and uh, Steepman, Vrancic and Dowell were your number 10 options. I don't think that would be good enough in the Premier League. Yeah, um, that was Steepman's first game for three months yesterday, wasn't it? So we can't judge him too harshly. But he did lose the ball quite cheaply at points, didn't he? did manage to have a, a few attempts on goal as well. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how he does. And, I was planning on coming on to this later, but we've kind of reached the the, the, the best point to talk about it already. Um, Daniel has repeated Stuart Webber's previous line about the intention to speak to Alex Tete and Mario Vrancic about their contract situation during the international break. So um, I'm interested to get both of your thoughts on whether you think that's likely, but I'm aware I'm putting you both a little bit on the spot there. So I, I, I'll go first. And uh, to be honest, I, I could maybe see Teddy staying as a player coach, something like that, but at best, because I just, while you were talking there, Pad had pulled it up and he's only made four league starts this season. He's made, what is it, six or seven very, very brief cameo appearances in the last 20 league games. He just, frankly, probably hasn't played enough football to be able to to be a Premier League player next year. And he is, I think he's 35 at the end of this season, isn't he? Yeah, he's 35 next month, actually. So that seems unlikely. Mario, for me, I don't know what you think, Connor, it probably comes down to him because they've not been able to guarantee him regular football this year. So they're definitely not going to be able to guarantee him regular football in the Premier League. It's almost seems to me is to whether he is happy to to remain on board in kind of a way that, that Tete has this year. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I, can, I can see Tete sticking around, actually. I think if, if there's a reduced terms um, agreement, potentially, and, and uh, you know, from, from every interview he's done in Norwegian press um, since the start of the season, he seems fairly accepting of, of his role in terms of, um, I don't know exactly what he described it, but essentially cheerleading, I think, is is, is what he said. In, uh, uh, but but I, I think just in terms of that experience and, and going up to the top flight, that's probably invaluable they didn't really have enough of that last time out when they were when they were quite inexperienced so I think even if it's in a role where and I know even even to the point where he's coming on games uh, or late on in games it's, it's kind of been phased out a little bit we've, we've seen Sorensen more than than Tetty and it's been quite a subtle sort of change in the regard that we've seen but um, I I personally think Tetty will probably stick around with Rancic I, th- I think you're right I think it probably it depends on him. I mean, he's he's what thirty now, so he'll probably want to go out and uh, and get some first team football. Um, and, and I'm not necessarily convinced that that's going to be in the Premier League um, on a regular basis, particularly given what we've just spoken about in terms of Norwich probably looking to bring in a, a new number ten. And, and that, as Daniel has said, is kind of where he sees him playing, unless Norwich have a lot of possession. Um, like they did against Birmingham and Wickham earlier on in the season at home, where he's kind of played him in that deeper role. That's just not going to be the case in the Premier League. So, um, 
yeah, I, I, I'm sort of leaning probably closer to Teti than than Vrancic in terms of those two staying. But uh, I, th- I think you can probably see all outcomes, to be honest. I, I think it will probably depend on what those two want more than anything. Pad, what what do you make of the situation? Can you see a uh, a possibility that both here next next season? We we had quite a, we had quite a little, quite a nice little moment from Elliot Bennett yesterday, didn't we? During the game, when obviously empty stadiums and stuff at the moment, and he as Teddy trotted past him as they were warming up on the sidelines, he said, "Where's the Zimmer frame?" And we all we all laughed in the press box, didn't we? Um, I suppose that's quite indicative of the situation. Yeah, well, in in the footballing terms, I'd like to be thirty five again. Connor doesn't have that problem, obviously, but uh, it's um, I, yeah, I'd agree. I can see any, I can see all scenarios in play at this stage. But what I do also see is there's no sentiment from Weber or Farker. You know, look how again okay, they're still on the payroll, but in terms of how they would cut out the equation for this season, Leitner and Tribal, given what they've both done in terms of the previous two seasons. Um, if they don't feel those two players can have an effective input, whether that is more so in Teddy's case away from the actual playing minutes on the pitch, more is a, you know, he is a, he's the model professional. What a great role model for those younger lads, you know, the Barley Mumbers and Josh Martins and that sort of era of player at Norwich. Now those development lads, um, but if they weigh up, up and they don't feel they're going to add value and, and Mario in terms of the playing sense, um, I can see him getting cut, and uh, and obviously with Tete, he's, he talked or at least sort of dropped in a little hint about maybe wanting to go the coaching route. Um, I didn't get the sense Stuart Webber was too keen to suddenly uh, add him to Daniel Farker's backroom staff. I think he'd have to probably start a bit of lower level now. Whether they, there's a role for him in Norwich, obviously with Tete, his family comes into it. He's got a young family who've, who've almost grown up in Norwich now. You know, certainly one or two of his children have been born here. They go to school here. That will be a factor for him as well. I doubt very much he'd want to pick his family up and go somewhere around Europe or even back to Norway for another year, two years, somewhere else. I think if he's going to continue playing, he would want it to be in Norwich. Um, and if he's not going to continue playing, but there's a coaching role, then maybe he'd still like it to be in Norwich. So if you put me on the spot now, I I, I don't think there'll be a playing contract for Tete. I just don't see it. Um, the, the thing about, you know, he knows what the Premier League is all about, but, but there's still... A core of Norwich players who were here two two years ago, as it would be now, so that they do have experience in the Premier League. It's not like we're going back up again, and it's Tete and Tim Krul and Tim Closer, and that's it. Grant Hanley as well. You know, there's a there's a wider pool of Premier League experience in that squad now. Um, and with Mario, I think time might have passed for him as well. You know, I can only see a scenario where Mario, if Mario is accepting that. He's not going to be, as he wasn't at the start of this season, probably a front-line option. And if at his age, ultimately, you know, he's the wrong side of 30 now, he probably wants to be playing football now at this stage of his career, probably less about the financial side of it, and he will have to weigh that up. So ultimately, if he's happy to be part of a squad, but maybe having limited game time in the Premier League, then I think they probably would like to do something because Farker's a big fan of his. We all know that. He talks often. Um, about how, I mean, he was his first signing, if I'm not mistaken, way back in 2017. So that's how highly he rates him. But the bottom line is there'll be no sentiment shown. You know, if if it doesn't suit Norwich, then it's not going to happen in either of those cases. We shall see. It'll be interesting. Michael McGovern out of contract as well, isn't he? But now, oh yeah, Nealand is on the bench. You would have thought that 
if Neyland is going to stay as the number two, then probably makes sense for, for McGovern to stick around as the number three if he's happy to. Um, but, you know, frankly, with all those three, Norwich fans would be perfectly happy to see them stick around. But if it is to be the end, then I, I don't think there's going to be any tears shed. Teddy goes down as an absolute legend, of course. Rancic has been a brilliant servant and, and has played a, a massive part for Farker. And I, I imagine they're not going to part ways on on bad terms if that's what it comes to. Um, and hopefully he's going to, if he does leave the summer, he'll leave on a high. Um, right. But before we come, uh, go a bit deeper into the game, we should just discuss injuries, really, shouldn't we? As I did mention a little bit earlier, Lucas Rupp, uh, very unfortunate after playing so well at Forest. Uh, to have a hamstring problem. He saw a specialist. That means, uh, that, well, we'll have to see, but Daniel was hopeful that he'll be back uh, the other side of the international break, hopefully for the Preston game. Adam Eder as well, hernia operation, potentially back for the Preston game. That can be quite a quick recovery these days. We saw that with Ben Godfrey last season, who seemed to recover in uh, less than a week, if I remember that correctly. Um, but uh, of course, we saw, uh, well, certainly one very nasty injury, didn't we, Connor, in Ben Gibson on Saturday, a really horrible turn of the ankle, uh, and Dimitris Yanoulis getting a, a bang to the head, and it seems like he's concussed, so we'll have to, to wait for the latest on them, but but Gibson, you would have thought there's a chance, he, he, if he has sprained ankle ligaments or something like that, we might not see him again this season. Yeah, and it would be a shame, wouldn't it, because he's been so influential um, at the back, and it's, it's, it's not so much... Um, for me, a, a slight on what Christoph Zimmerman would do because I think actually he, he'd do a, a very solid job. But just in terms of Gibson's distribution and, and, and how he moves Norwich up the pitch, Norwich don't have a, a, another option like that in terms of the, the two centre-backs they have. So it would be a big blow from how they try and play. And, and Gibson as well, personally, it's been a big year for him, hasn't it, in terms of two years without really playing football. I remember I sat down with him um probably a week or so after he, he officially signed and he kind of said that he was expecting some knocks and for his body to maybe break down at some points just because he's had a, a long period essentially without playing regularly so I think there was probably some acceptance on his side that that was going to happen and that he would eventually get back up to um, a level maybe not his top level but a level that would um, that would be good enough to see him move into the Norwich team and I think he's he's kind of shown why Norwich pursued him so strongly last summer um, because he's he's been he's been really good and if it is the end of his season then um, hopefully uh, and, and it looks like it will end in promotion that would see him become a permanent Norwich player and I think most fans would would be pretty happy about that so it, it would be a shame hopefully it's not too it's not as bad as it as it looked I mean it's, it's kind of a weird one isn't it because um, it's, it's not one you can really blame on the pitch which I felt look, looked a lot better yesterday after um, it really taken a battering over the over the winter months so um it, it, was, it was just one of those awkward collisions wasn't it where he lands awkwardly the ankle rolls and, and you just hope that it's it's nothing too serious I mean he, he he was in quite a lot of pain initially but I mean as he sort of made his way round the pitch he came sort of a, um around the front of the press box there was no sort of heavy strapping or anything on, on his ankle to keep it in place or any sort of support so hopefully that's a good sign and, and hopefully it's just a um, uh, weeks rather than months. I think that's 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 what we'll hope for him. Uh, with with Yanulis, if if it's if it is concussion, um, I think it's very difficult to see then how he could go away on international duty for me. So it's it would be a major blow for him because Greece have got two World Cup qualifiers, but it it would probably see him return for that game against Preston, which may be fairly positive. So it's it, obviously we hope that he's. He is all right and recovers from that pretty quickly. But it, it was it was not particularly nice to watch, to be honest. They, those two incidents in um, a fairly short period, um, and, and for me, maybe reinforces 
how slow football's been more generally to kind of um, use the con- or um, impose the, the concussion subs and things like that. So that's probably a wider debate for another day. But yeah, in terms of those two, I think Gibson's probably the, the one that provokes the concern for me, I would say. Yeah, and I, I think we can be pretty certain Norwich will sign Ben Gibson if they go up, regardless of that injury. But as, as a man with glass ankles who's been on crutches four times for uh, my ankles, I can very much sympathise. I know that pain. Uh, all too well. It's what, that's the reason I stopped playing uh, Sunday League, unfortunately. Welcome to the new normal. Hello, and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant. Right, Pat, let's get stuck into the game um, as we're 27 minutes into the pod already and we haven't really got stuck in because there's so much going on. Um, a 1-1 draw, but really Norwich had the, the far bigger chances, didn't they? When you think that they hit the bar, they hit the post, the keeper made some good saves. I thought Daryl Lenahan for, for Blackburn was, was excellent at the back, particularly that block when he sort of chucked himself in front of Pookie's shot in the second half. He was, and the keeper, Kaminsky, as well. I mean, he didn't get a sense of it in, in real time, but um, he got a touch on that Buendia shot that went onto the post, uh, sorry, onto the bar in the first half. So that was an excellent stop. Uh, and, and he actually got denied Buendia again in deep in stoppage time with a, a brilliant stop with his legs. And also, for me, I didn't appreciate it in real time, but the Pookie chance when Ben Gibson put the ball over the top, pass or clearance, you make your mind up, he's ran clear, and we've seen plenty of times in the recent goal burst, that's in the back of the net. And it was heading towards the ang- angle of the camera behind the goal. He was going inside the post. And again, Kaminsky stuck a toe out. So, um, you know, as as much as Norwich were, were not quite in the, the top gear, um, they, they had some very, very clear chances. And on another day, they win that game pretty comfortably. So credit to the keeper for me. Um, but, you know, Ultimately, I, I don't think you could quibble from a Norwich perspective. Blackburn merited a point. Um, they were very brave in terms of how they pressed collectively across midfield areas. They, they set their stall out in the first half and I thought Tony Mowbray was pretty good. After the game, he said he'd seen a lot of teams try and set up and uh, you know string men behind the ball and almost try and frustrate Norwich that way and deny them space. Um, and Norwich eventually will find a way. We know about their superior fitness. They just keep going. They're relentless. Um so he felt they would Blackburn would stick to their normal game, which is that they try and win the ball high up the pitch and counter-attack teams. And obviously when you can bring on quality like Stuart Downing off the bench and then probably more so now, the, the young lad that they've got on loan from Liverpool, Harvey Elliott, who, uh, who looks an unbelievable player. 17 years of age, scored in the corresponding fixture. And it was his free kick um, that brought them level. Um, I mean, he could, he could go on to be anything in the game. I think only Buendia apparently has got more assists in the championship this season. Uh, I think he's on 10 now uh, for a 17-year-old kid who's frightening. And I'm probably glad that he didn't start the game, actually. But, uh, you know, ultimately, Blackburn, for me, are, they're not a team who should be languishing in 15th place. I know they're missing two very big players, Armstrong and Dak. Um, and maybe that's, you know, scuppered them a little bit because obviously with young players, you get a performance like you got at Car Road where on any given day, they will raise it and almost relish the occasion. And, and wanted to prove that they were as good as Norwich players. But over the entire piece, I think young players, you get a lot of inconsistency. And, and ultimately, you look at their league status 
They've won one game in the league since the end of January. That's why they're 15th in the table. And why Mowbray, there was a lot of talk about his, his own position there a week or two back. But, you know, only in this month, they've, they've now took a point off Norwich, they took a point off Swansea, and they only lost to Brentford 1-0. I think that was a penalty that night as well. So they've played the three Watford aside, three of the main principles, and they've gave all three of them a very tough game. So as as much as we, we were obviously going to focus on Norwich and what they didn't do quite as well as recently, I think you have to give a lot of credit to Blackburn. They were ex- excellent. Yeah, well, maybe Harvey Elliott's one for us to stick on the list as a potential loan target for next season. I'm sure everybody's building a, a little list of uh, targets that they'd like Norwich to look at potentially. Um, we shall see. Connor, the, I, I mean, I agree with Pad there in terms of Blackburn's intensity. And Daniel Farker had kind of teed it up, hadn't he, in the way that he said that there's, there's no pressure on them, they've got a bit of freedom. And they went for it. But after the goal had gone in, after you know, lovely goal from McLean, third of the season, uh, Dow with the assist and, and, and all that, you, you suspected they were going to tail off from that point. And they didn't, did they? He, he worked his substitutions on, they got fresh legs going. And, and they, I think they definitely were, despite what we said in terms of Norwich having all the chances and, and, and probably should have won, I think it would have been harsh on Blackburn to have left Carrow Road without anything to show for it. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with everything that, that Pad said there in terms of their intensity and, and the way they set up. I mean, even to the point where uh, Tyrese Dolan, for example, really stuck high on Max Ahrens and essentially didn't let him join any of Norwich City's attacks and that, that made their play very central and, and, and they just frustrated them. And, and equally, I think when you combine that with a, a Norwich display that was a little bit off-colour, I mean, it reminded me, um, really of, of that Middlesbrough game in January where Norwich probably weren't quite at the level and their opponents were, were pretty defensively um, robust in, in a different way. I mean, they, they really pressed the space. They they pushed pretty much 11 men into Norwich's half when Norwich had a goal kick, which is, uh, or 10 men rather, which has been pretty rare, I think, for, for teams this season. Yeah, they didn't push the goalkeeper in the half. That would be very brave. Uh, 10 men. But, um, but yeah, I think they're 4-3-3 cause problems, as I said at the top of the show. And, um, I, I remember being at Ewood Park uh, in December, and there was they, they began to get on top in the game. Harvey Elliott scored that goal, uh, and, and I did kind of wonder whether they'd bring him on because of of how well he did against Jakob Sorensen in the reverse fixture. But um, they they were kind of getting on top at Ewood Park, and then Tony Mowbray changed his entire midfield free, and that kind of shifted the game back in Norwich's oh, yeah. favour. And it, it felt yesterday like it was a more intelligent use of their substitutions rather than than what he did at Ewood Park. And, and maybe that's why they didn't tire off. But um, but yeah, sometimes I think you just have to recognise that the the opposition did very well and, and and that maybe Norwich weren't in in top gear. I felt the distribution at times was a bit off. They, they didn't move the ball quick enough. There were plenty of times where Daniel Farker could be uh, could be heard shouting faster and, uh, and, and urging his players maybe to, to take a, a few more risks. But Equally, it was the third game in a week. They've won nine on the spin. I think you can probably cut them a, a little bit of slack going into an international break. So, um, yeah, not not the end of the world. But, um, yeah, I, I was I was quite impressed with Blackburn as, as well, to be honest. The goal as well, Pad, was uh, was a cracking finish from McLean on his weaker right foot. Well, I say weaker right foot, but he, has, he scored a nice goal with his right against Bristol City, didn't he, a couple of seasons ago, the sort of half volley from the edge of the box. But um, a, a lovely move, wasn't it? Was, yeah, Buendia started it. Um, lovely one too with Dow. You know, we're talking quite rightly, I think, about Dow and didn't quite grasp his opportunity, but but what he can do, he showed it there. You know, just the intelligence, the awareness, just the roll that straight back into his pocket. I mean, you look at it, it was literally, you could he could not have walked into the goal and placed it. 
any better. It was it was perfect, just inside the post. And it had to be, given what I said a bit earlier about Kaminsky was a very obdurate last line of defence yesterday. They saw it was going to take something of that nature. Um, and, you know, just at that point, I think if they got the second goal, I think they might have been okay. But, but you could just see that, as we've discussed, Brentford, uh, Black, Blackburn was so brave and so willing to engage that that wasn't going to change by going down a goal. If anything, they just uh, piled even more men forward. Tony Mowbray went full turbo off the bench. He brought four players on, um, a lot of attacking options. And, of course, one of them, Sam Gallagher, um, was a bit too too cute for, for Jakob Sorensen at the back post. And, uh, yeah, it, I felt all along that, that it was probably going... That's it was going to be more Blackburn would get one back than Norwich would go on. It just felt it was an afternoon where it wasn't quite going to end as as it has done so often this season. But uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, a point when you know two of your main rivals haven't made up any ground on you and and you've actually increased the gap technically from where they were at the start of play to to now in terms of to the third place, the automatics. That's got to go down as a good weekend, I think overall. Yes, and Elliot Bennett was the man winning that free kick as well, wasn't he? And Todd Campwell's hands just sort of flying in the air and conceding that uh, handball free kick on the edge of the box. So, um, yeah, it was a good header, to be fair. But so I think Sorensen just completely uh, got the marking wrong. But um, there we did. That, that, that'll do for the game because we've got plenty to look forward to in this international break. And, you know, we'll keep you up to date, of course, with everything that's going on. Uh, Pinkin.com will no doubt have... Uh, uh, videos and, and, and podcasts, bits and pieces going on throughout the break. But um, we've got this Preston game looming, which um, everyone's been talking about, haven't they? Daniel's said his piece on it. And you've got all the Norwich players going away on international duty. Krull, Puki, Hanley, McLean, Hernandez, Poirheta, Skip, Aarons. There's there's a load of them off um, at Dan Barden's with the Wales under-21s. But the Preston game, as things stand, is still due to be a 3pm on Good Friday despite the fact that there are World Cup qualifiers on the Wednesday evening. So if Yanulis joins up with Greece, he would be playing in a 7.45 um, in Greece against Georgia. Um, same time in Scotland. Uh, so not, you know, geographically um, not too bad, but Hanley and McLean potentially playing the Faroe Islands and Poeta with Poland at Wembley to play England. Whether he'd start that seems unlikely, and so that's not too bad. Hopefully, Puki won't play in Finland's friendly and stuff that night. But just to think about the worst case scenario, Connor, um, it, I was we were discussing it in the live updates yesterday. And if you think that, um, if you just count out all those players, which is unlikely to be the case anyway, the team that they could still put out would be Neeland, Mumba, Zimmerman. Not Gibson now, though, of course, uh, unlikely. So that's that's potentially a blow. So, OK, that's that's a fresh one from yesterday. Maybe, so maybe you have to look at Teti alongside Zimmerman unless you bring in Omabama Daly. Uh, you could have Kintia at left-back. Um, Sorensen, who hasn't been called up for the Denmark under-21s. You could have him alongside Rancic in the middle. Buendia, Dow, Campwell and Hugill. So it's a strange and situation that shouldn't be unfolding. But given the strength of Norwich's squad, they should be able to deal with a, a pressing team who are in a bad place, shouldn't they? Yeah, and unfortunately, given everything we've spoken about, they're in a fairly healthy position where a defeat probably wouldn't be too devastating to their promotion hopes. But clearly, there's a lot of frustration um, inside Colney at this. And that is, it, I mean, it's not surprising given that 
theoretically this is a game deep into it well in 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 the running isn't it and um they're they're clearly going for 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 promotion so it it is a a big thing for them and to be without a host of your key players really is 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 pretty unacceptable and that's that's before we we get on to the the um, fact of it being in a pandemic and obviously the fears that someone like Onel Hernandez is essentially flying to the other side of the of the planet and um, you've, you've obviously got players linking up and being in different bubbles and uh, Norwich aren't particularly, well, they can't be sure 100% of specific protocol in every single bubble and how strong it is. So, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really, it's bonkers to be frank. And um, it's, it's, it, it's felt all season like something's had to be compromised in order for us to get to the end of the championship season for it to end on time for us to have the Euros in the summer. I mean, we're, we're putting a lot of demands on players um, and yes, they are athletes and they are in top condition, but equally they're human beings and there's a mental side to it as Daniel spoke about as well and, and a mental well-being. So yeah, I mean, in, in, in Norwich can use their squad depth, so it's not the, the worst thing in the world, but I think it's, it's a dangerous precedent you set by having that game then because essentially the EFL are saying, well, that's okay. And if, if you're saying that going forward, then I think there are going to be times where teams who maybe aren't as well-equipped as, as Norwich at the moment will be in that position and fighting for something. Um, let's say it's a, a Barnsley, for example, who are in a, well, let's be honest, a once in a, in a well, once in a however many seasons you, you want to put it, they're, they're in a really good opportunity where they could get promoted. Now, if they were without um, six of their first-team squad, that's clearly going to be a, a massive blow for them. Um, and I, I just think it's it's dangerous uh, to to say that that's okay. And look, I, it's not necessarily blaming Preston because I think if 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 the shoe was on the other foot, I'm not totally convinced Norwich would 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 um, move the game either because you take the advantage. That's that's sport, isn't it? So um, yeah, I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world given Norwich's position and the options you just read. There, that's still an incredibly strong team. Um, but I think the wider concerns have to be about what this means for football going forward. And also, obviously, hoping that they can get everyone back, not just fully fit, but also healthy, which is something that probably you never really thought that football clubs would have to be concerned about probably before the last year. But there you go. It's it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with it. It might almost give them another layer of, of motivation. And if Jordan Hugo starts, I mean, he's, he's certainly going to be hungry, I think, to, to prove his worth against one of his former clubs. So, I mean, that, that team is still more than good enough to get a result, but... Yeah, I, I can understand the frustration that, that Daniel Farker has over this, if I'm honest. Yeah, it seems ridiculous to me that the EFL have ever planned it this way. But uh, as you say, this isn't a normal situation and normal season. You know, Rotherham have got, I think, four games in hand on some teams because of their games they had to postpone because of COVID. And Paul Warren again having to self-isolate, isn't he, because of uh, a positive test, someone uh, someone around him. So, um, yeah, a strange situation. But for, for Preston, I mean, um, as we'll come on to in just a minute, uh, Alex Neal saying some quite odd things after their defeat to Luton yesterday. It sounds like he hasn't got long uh, left there. They've only won one of their last nine. They, they've lost a lot of games. They don't seem to to draw many. But they've got Norwich on the Friday, Good Friday, and then they go to Swansea on Easter Monday. So um, whereas Norwich don't play until 7.45 on the Tuesday. So there is that little bit of a gap. But yeah, but... Do you, the EFL just take it all of the blame on this one, Pad? And I, I, from what from what we've heard, there, there's no suggestion that there's a there's a a chance of it being moved, is there? 
Well, no, no, I don't think there will be any chance of it. I mean, Farker keeps saying he's not going to talk about it, and then every opportunity he wants to talk <laughs> about it. So he, he's, he's desperate to continue putting it on the agenda. Um, but my issue with it, with it, and it's something he keeps coming back to, is you know what? Why couldn't that game be switched to Saturday? It's not. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's not been selected for Sky, is it? So it's not. It's not a Sky game. Um, there's no fans, obviously, in the stadiums at the minute. So. It's not even as if there's an inconvenience to supporters and the whole logistics that go around that. It's very hard to see why common sense couldn't prevail and, and you play Saturday, Tuesday, as it would be in Norwich's case. Now, whether Preston don't want to go, bearing in mind it is Swansea away on the mon- on the Monday, they probably want the extra day. So if if it was, it, for me, it should be the EFL making the decision. I don't see why it needs ultimately Preston's green light for it to be moved. It should be ultimately the EFL duty of care to the players, uh, the fairness of the competition, the integrity. Farg has been touching on those aspects as well. Respect to, to Norwich as a club. Um, the EFL should basically be telling the clubs it's been switched, not, as it seems from the outside looking in, needing to be a consensual decision agreed with all parties. Um, it doesn't really seem to have a lot of basis in, in fact or logic, uh, particularly, you know, given... I mean, I mean that scenario. I don't think. I mean that was that was the nuclear scenario you painted there. The I mean, for me, Grant Hanley is not a sort of man who, if he plays any part of Scotland on the Wednesday, is it? I don't think he would turn around and Daniel say, "Oh, I'm not ready, ready to go." Uh, he is, he is the warrior and he is the captain of the club. So I'm pretty sure if he, unless he's injured, obviously, but if he comes back having played Wednesday night, you know, Daniel's talking about in a lot of cases they'll travel to Preston on the Thursday, so that, that those players far and wide will probably go direct to the team hotel. Um, so I, I could see a Grant Hanley, a Kenny McLean, those type of lads, um, even Pookie, I'm sure, you know, really, if they get to Preston in the team hotel on the Thursday, they'll, they'll declare themselves available. Now, that's one thing saying they're available, but the reality is, by no stretch, is it the best preparation to have Timu Pookie flying in from Europe um, essentially 24, 36 hours before the kickoff? No chance to work on anything in terms of preparation specific to Preston. It's not improving Norwich's chances of getting a result, that is for sure. But um, I think ultimately it will be Friday and Norwich will have to get on with it, as they did to similar degree, but maybe, well, certainly not as marked because it was before really the championship had got underway, but going to Luton in the League Cup without 16 players because of internationals, that's just as Connor touched on the nature of where we are this season, unlike any other season in terms of the Constantine nature of the calendar. Um, the fact that they can't really overrun, certainly as they did in Project Restart, into the summer months because we've got the European Championships. That's non-negotiable. Um, so, you know, Norwich had to deal with it at Kenilworth Road and, and ultimately they didn't that day, as it turned out, in terms of the result. Um, and if it goes that way again, then, yeah, I don't think Daniel will be holding back in his post-match at Preston that day if they if they lose the game as a result of really being forced to play less than 48 hours in some cases since some of those players have played for internationals. But ultimately, in the bigger picture, you know, they're going to they're gonna go to Preston and kick off eight points clear of Watford and 13-14 clear of third place. So even a defeat isn't really going to be too terminal, I think, to the final outcome. But... Yeah, it's a pretty unsavoury situation. And it's as animated as I've seen Farker. Normally, he's the arch-diplomat. Um, he's always very willing to see other people's point of view, whether it's rival clubs or managers uh, or wider issues affecting the game. But on this one, he's 
he's firmly nailing his colours to the mast and he thinks Norwich are being let down by the EFL and it's hard to disagree with him. Yeah, I thought he was spot on in the in what he was talking about, the way the game often preaches about uh, welfare and mental health and stuff and the strain that players are being put under at the moment. Yes, they're well paid, but there is a limit. I mean, this this is a kind of like a Christmas period now, isn't it? When you play Boxing Day in the 28th and everyone every year says it's ridiculous that we ask so much of the players. Jurgen Klopp every year seems to go off the deep end about it, doesn't he? Because, you know, in Germany, they literally have a Christmas break, don't they? It's like, and then you're here and you get three games in five days and stupid things like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it should also, I don't think I included it in the list. I've got my diary open here that the England under-21s play on that night as well. They play Croatia. That's their final group game. And it should be stressed that these aren't friendlies we're talking about. They're World Cup qualifiers. And for the under-21s with Aarons and Skip, uh, they are playing the group stages of the European Under-21 Championship. So they have got uh, Switzerland, Croatia and Portugal in their group. So that sounds like a pretty difficult group for, for AD Boothroyd to steer them through. So the chances of Boothroyd not needing them both on that night are pretty slim unless they manage to win their the first two games and, it, and it's a dead rubber. Krull fortunately plays on the Tuesday, if he plays. Um, that's a World Cup qualifier in Gibraltar. So you'd have thought Krull's going to be fine. We'll bring you the quotes in the next few days, but you're, you're spot on, Pad. Kenny McLean said after Saturday that no player will be going to Daniel Farker and saying, I don't want to play in the Friday. Even if they played Wednesday night, they will want to play because of the great situation they're in. So I agree. I, I, Hanley and McLean will make themselves available if needs be, even if it's just for an hour, I, I suppose, because they then know they've got a little bit of a break ahead of the Huddersfield game. But a really interesting situation. So it's going to be... Uh, an international break where it's definitely worth keeping an eye on pinkin.com because we've got lots to keep you up to date with uh, and we'll definitely try and keep a close eye on how the England under-21s are doing. Uh, just finally, uh, me and Connor are back at Carroll Road on Monday for FA Youth Cup action. Uh, Connor, I'm, I'm sure you're the same as me and I'm actually looking forward to getting a look at these lads because the third round win when they w beat Wolves and Abu Kamara scored the hat-trick was um, at St George's Park. So we we weren't able to see that. But the Youth Cup, as we've seen in recent years, is always such a, an important indicator of what might be to come from the academy in the, in the years that follow. Yeah, it is. I remember walking away from um, that Newcastle game, well, it would have been 2019 now, wouldn't it, when Josh Martin scored a hat-trick and we both walked away and, and said, yeah, he looked like um, probably the best player on the pitch and it's, it, it just helps in terms of narrative and, and you can kind of see, I think, in, in these games, which players are maybe a little bit closer to it than than those who aren't. So um, particularly given how Norwich like to, um, or how much emphasis they put on that academy and how Daniel Farker likes to introduce young players, it's, it's always um, it's always a useful exercise, I think, getting a look at them and, and seeing where different players are. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating. And also to, to see what sort of team they put out, because obviously it, the Youth Cup is is a big competition, isn't it? As, as Norwich fans will know from from history and um, often we, we get players from the 23s drop down and, and, and you can get a fairly competitive Norwich side so yeah it's, it's going to be a good watch I'm looking forward to it yeah good stuff well we'll keep you up to date with that as well pinkin.com we'll have uh, live updates from that I think the club are hoping to put a stream out but I don't know if that was confirmed or not but that was the, the intention that we'd heard so um we'll get that embedded in our live blog as well and we'll have a report and, and the post-match interviews and things like that so that's another one to to keep things going I'm not, I'm not sure it's going to feel like a break really <laughs> because it's going to come and go so quickly and there's pretty much games throughout i mean sebastian soto for instance is already with the usa under 23s in olympic qualifying and they're in mexico for a few games aren't they they, 
they play the game in the early hours of Friday morning our time. So loads to keep you up to date with. But that'll do for now. Thank you very much for listening. Look after yourselves and we'll catch up with you very soon. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.